Good morning, everyone. Welcome. My name's Tom. Thank you for the privilege and opportunity to share with you this morning. Get out your Bibles or your tablets or whatever, and let's look at the book of Joshua. The book of Joshua. It was written by Joshua, so it's an eyewitness account. And the book of Joshua covers a 25-year period when Joshua led the Israelites to re-inhabit Canaan as was God's promise after the exodus from Egypt. And God told the Israelites that as long as they were obedient, they would have success, particularly on the battlefield. So two weeks ago, Dan told us about how they were obedient and they had success conquering the city of Ai. But God also told them, if you get ahead of yourselves, there's going to be problems. Case in point, last week Wade told us about how they fell for the Gibeonite deception due to their lack of prayer. If you remember what happened, the the Gibeonites were located near Jerusalem. They saw that the God of Israel was the one true God, and he was with them, and they were conquering city after city after city, and they knew they were coming for them. So the Gibeonites wanted to make a peace treaty with the Israelites, except they knew they wouldn't accept it because they were their enemies. And so they pretended to be this strange people group from far, far away. They ripped their clothes. They wore old clothes. They even had moldy bread so they could sell it, so to speak. And Joshua gave them the once-over and said, okay, you're in. He did not pray for God's discernment before he made that decision. And of course, Wade helped us to learn that prayerlessness and making decisions always leads to trouble and consequences. So today, we're in Joshua 10. We're in Joshua 10, and the title is, Do Miracles Still Happen? Spoiler alert, yes! (laughs) Every day, all the time, and they are outstanding. And so today, we'll, we'll talk about miracles and how you and I can experience them in significant ways. And specifically, we're going to hear about an amazing miracle where Joshua prayed to God to make the day last longer. He had something that he needed to get done, and he needed more daylight. So he asked God to put the universe on hold and to stop the approaching darkness, and God did it. And God did it. And we'll discuss how miracles are so very, very relevant for us today. Now, in a minute, not right now, but in a minute, we're going to stand and we're going to read verses 6 through 15. But first, let me set the stage in Joshua 10, verses 1 through 5. Okay, so the Israelites are slowly taking their land back. And there's five local nations with five local kings who realize the Israelites are coming to take their land back. And already, one of their allies, that is the Gibeonites, had made a peace treaty with Israel. So these five kings, these five city-states, they decided we need to get Gibeon back because it says right in those verses that it was an important city and they had good fighting men. So of these five, there was one leader and he was from the city of Jerusalem. Yes, that Jerusalem where our Lord and Savior spent his ministry and his final days. But you need to understand this is years before God's children occupied Jerusalem as their home city. So these five kings, all within a 30-mile radius of Jerusalem, decided that they were going to attack Gibeon. And their names are repeated in verse 3, and then they're repeated again in verse 5. Why? To emphasize that it was five 
against one. Five nations against little Gibeon. So the Gibeonites got the word, probably through Facebook or Twitter, that these armies were coming. And so they cried out to their new friends by deception, the Israelites. And so the question is, how are Joshua and the Israelites going to respond? So, if you're physically able, please grab your Bible. If you want to use the Pew Bible in front of you, it's on page 121. And I'm going to read Joshua 10, verses 6 through 15. I'm in the uh, NIV version. If you can just follow along silently in whatever version you have. All right, so we're in Joshua 10, verse 6. The Gibeonites then sent word to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal. Do not abandon your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us. Help us, because all the Amorite kings from the hill country have joined forces against us. So Joshua marched up from Gilgal with the entire army, including all the best fighting men. The Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. After an all-night march from Gilgal, Joshua took them by surprise. The Lord threw them into confusion before Israel, who defeated them in a great victory at Gibeon. Israel pursued them along the road going up to Beth Horon and cut them down all the way to Azekah and Makkedah. Verse 11, as they fled before Israel on the road down from Beth Horon to Azekah, the Lord hurled large hailstorms down on them from the sky. And more of them died from the hailstones than were killed by the swords of the Israelites. On the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, O sun, stand still over Gibeon. O moon, over the valley of Ajalon. Verse 13. So the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the nation avenged itself on its enemies, as is written in the book of Jasher. The sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. There has never been a day like it before or since, a day when the Lord listened to a man. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. Then Joshua returned with all Israel to the camp at Gilgal. Let's pray. Dear Lord, Thank you for this book, which is active and alive and as full of life then as it is now. Clear our minds of all distractions for these next few minutes. Help us to focus on what a miraculous God you are, because you are worthy. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So before we go back and unpack verses 6 through 15, let me just quickly summarize the rest of the chapter for you. In verses 16 through 28, it describes the end result of what eventually happened to the five kings who tried to fight against the one true God, and it wasn't pretty. They tried to hide in a cave, they were caught, they were killed, they were hung from a tree all day long, and then their bodies were eventually thrown back into the same cave where they tried to hide from God. Note to self, you can't hide from God. In verses 29 through 43, it is a detailed summary account of the military campaigns where 
Because of Joshua and the Israelites' obedience to God, they dominated cities, defeated pagan kings, and divided the land. So that's how that chapter ends. Now, back to our focus verses, starting in verse 6. Let's look at verse 6. The Gibeonites then sent word to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal. Do not abandon your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us. Help us because all the Amorite kings from the hill country have joined forces against us. Now, ladies and gentlemen, it's a good thing that I wasn't Joshua because I would have been tempted to say, well, la-ti-da, look who wants our help now. The same people who lied and tricked us into a peace treaty. So the question is, should Joshua honor the treaty that was based on deceit? And of course, the answer is yes. Why? Because Joshua wants to be a man of his word. That's called integrity. That's something that you and I should strive for. We should make sure and let our yes be yes and our no be no, even if other people are deceitful. Let's look at verses 7 and 8. So Joshua marched up from Gilgal with his entire army, including all the best fighting men. The Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. Now, getting from Gilgal to Gibeon was no walk in the park, and we'll talk more about that in just a second. But let's look at verse 8. I have given them into your hand. Do you notice that past tense? The battle hasn't even happened yet. So there's another lesson for us. Pray and let God fight your battles for you. He's more creative at it, and he's a better fighter than you will ever be. So here we are, folks, three verses in to our passage today, and we already have some great truths, the importance of integrity and the importance of letting God fight our battles. Verses 9 and 10. After an all-night march from Gilgal, Joshua took them by surprise. The Lord threw them into confusion before Israel, who defeated them in a great victory at Gibeon. Israel pursued them along the road going up to Beth Horon and cut them down all the way to Azekah and Mekedah. So the distance from Gilgal, where Joshua and the Israelites were, to Gibeon was about 20 miles For those of you who like to count your steps like I do on my little phone, that's 42,000 steps, okay? And it was 4,000 feet elevation going uphill at night, carrying the weight of their provisions. Probably took six to seven hours, and they had the knowledge that as soon as they got there, they were going to have to be in battle. But from verse 8, they also had the knowledge that God was going ahead of them. Verse 10 says the Lord threw the five pagan armies into confusion or a confused state. If you remember, that's the same thing that God did to Pharaoh's men when they were trying to chase the Israelites across the Red Sea. You see, if you're a believer, God always protects his people, and he always will. And again, if you're a believer, that includes you and me. Verse 11, verse 11. As they fled before Israel on the road down from Beth Horon to Azekah, the Lord hurled large hailstones down on them from the sky, and more of them died from the hailstones than were killed by the swords of the Israelites. 
Okay. Note that Joshua said to the Lord that, oh, well, let me back up here. For, for you military buffs, for you military buffs, what we have here is one of the first documented reports of guided heat-seeking missiles. <laughs> these large hailstones, how large were they? Bible doesn't say, doesn't matter. But these hailstones only hit the enemy, the bad guys. That's like going out in the rain and only certain people getting wet. And it, the verse tells us that there was such accuracy in this that God got more done with nature than the Jews got done using their weapons in hand-to-hand combat. Our miraculous God. All right, so understand this. The Israelites are indeed winning this battle, right? But there's still a lot of fighting to do. Remember, five armies against one. There's still many, many soldiers out there. The day is winding down, and Joshua needs more daylight to complete the victory. Let me say it again. Joshua needs more daylight to complete the victory, okay? Nobody had any night vision goggles. Any, any fighting that was going to be done had to be done during daylight. And Joshua needed more time. What was he going to do? Let's look at verses 12 and 13. On the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel... Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, Sun, stand still over Gibeon, and you, moon, over the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still, and the moon stopped, till the nation avenged itself on its enemies, as is written in the book of Jashar. The sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down for about a full day. Wow. Now, note that it says, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel. So that means he said this prayer in front of everybody for God to make the sun stand still. That's really bold. That's more bold than Tom probably would have been. I can tell you that. Because I live up to my name sometimes and I'm a doubting Thomas. I don't want to pray that in front of everybody. What if it doesn't work? So I may have been, if I was Joshua, I may have been on the side saying, "Uh, God, you you know what you could do here. This would be awesome if you could just... But not, not Joshua, not Joshua, right out in front of everybody. And you know what's really cool about this? When you consider his prior mistake of not praying at all and making a covenant with the Gibeons in the first place. And now here he is boldly praying in front of everybody. Something else that you can take from this, and this isn't in your notes, but victorious Christian life always includes prayer. Victorious Christian life always includes prayer. By the way, don't get lost in the weeds there or sidetracked by that uh, Jasher reference. Um, uh, Biblical uh, commentaries are not sure what it is. It's been lost in antiquities, and, and the specifics aren't known to us. Most of them think it's from the Hebrew book of Songs, and maybe it's the same book that's mentioned in Numbers 21 and 2 Samuel 8. But the point is, the miracle's mentioned in the Bible, so Jashur is just a secondary reference. So, so don't get lost in that. All right, let's look at 14 and 15. There has never been a day like it before or since. A day when the Lord listened to a man, surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. Then Joshua returned with all Israel to the camp at Gilgal. Now, guys, understand this was not only a physical defeat for the pagan Amorites. This was a spiritual defeat. Why? 
because they worshiped the sun god, lowercase g. And their sun god had no power over the one true God. The God of Israel cannot be defeated, cannot be defeated. All right, look at this picture here while I share this. This passage is hotly debated and discussed at length among many different people. Did it really happen? Should Christians believe the sun stood still? Skeptics would say no. It's just poetic language, a figurative description with no literal connection. Besides, the sun can't stand still because it's already still. What we know now, they didn't know then, the earth rotates on its axis and revolves around the sun, not the other way around. Additionally, the earth spins on its axis at 1,038 miles per hour. And if you suddenly stop something that was spinning at 1,000 miles per hour, things are going to fly all over. And there would be cataclysmic effects with the oceans and mountains. The more zealous skeptics would say that believing this passage is an affront to the modern human mind, and anyone who believes it is living in blind faith and, frankly, acting like an idiot. Hmm. Conversely, those who believe this miracle would counter that the language used in this passage, like much of the Bible, is the language of appearance and observation. And yes, why it is scientific fact that the earth revolves around the sun, it appeared to Joshua that the sun, in fact, stood still. Even scientists today use this language of appearance and observation when professional meteorologists, like your local weather guy or woman, tells us the times for sunrise and sunset. Well, the sun's not rising and setting, it's the earth rotating. By the way, many astrophysicists would say that technically the sun does move as it rotates around the Milky Way solar system. Other possible explanations used by those who believe in this miracle, um, that it actually occurred, include the Lord possibly using something called refraction, which is the bending of sunlight to extend a day, or that God significantly slowed down the rotation of the Earth's axis that day. Or perhaps God used localized light over Joshua on that day, just like he used localized darkness on the day Jesus died on the cross at Calvary. By the way, in the 70s and 80s, there was a really popular story about a Maryland professor who was a NASA consultant, and he did all these calculations and discovered a missing day and remembered this story from his Sunday school and attributed this and guess what? That's all urban legend. Never happened. Never happened. However, it is interesting to note that many cultures, six out of the seven continents, have written accounts of a long day in their history and that this unusual event occurred around the same time period of the passage we read today. So I'm going to stop here with all the scientific fact approach because I'm out of my league. It's not how the Lord wired me. However, if he wired you that way, awesome. Go to creation.com and you can get your mind filled with facts until it explodes about what really happened. All right, so now what? So now what? So it's an interesting story, really cool miracle. Any relevance for us today? 
Well, first you need to ask yourself some questions. Do you believe Joshua 10 happened? Do you believe in any of the miracles of the Bible? Do you believe miracles happen today? Do you believe you have ever personally experienced a miracle? Have you ever played a part in a miracle happening in someone else's life? Let's look at these questions together, and this is where you can use your outline if you have one. You don't have to, but if you have one. So the first thing we need is believing in miracles. Believing in miracles. And I am respectfully submitting to you a Christian definition of miracles, and that is our supernatural God acting supernaturally. So for me, folks, believing in God and his miracles is not hard because I believe in the very first verse, in the very first book of the Bible. You read it aloud today before the offering. In fact, let's read it together now. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1.1. You see, sadly, some people just can't believe in God because they believe nothing supernatural can take place because they can't explain it. This is the very definition of living by sight and not by faith. Friends, if God can't perform the miracle described in Joshua 10, then he is, in a sense, imprisoned by his own creation. It means that God can't use or suspend the very laws of nature and physics that he built. I have a difficult time believing in that kind of God. The God I believe in lives outside of space and time. The God I believe in can absolutely do anything he wants, whenever he wants to, and however he wants to accomplish his purposes. That is the definition of the title, Sovereign God. If if God can't perform the miracle described in Joshua 10, then guess what? He can't perform any miracles. So no feeding of the 5,000, no raising anyone from the dead, no healing the lame, no creation in six days, no walking on water, no resurrection. And frankly, if there's no resurrection, there's no hope for you, and there's no hope for me. But I have hope with a capital H. Because I know that God wants to have a relationship. The Bible tells us that God wants to have a relationship with us. The Bible tells us that we can't do it on our own because of our sin. The Bible tells us that we can do it because he sent his son as the ultimate sacrifice who died on the cross for you and for me. And the Bible tells us that each one of us have to make that decision ourselves. Being Baptist will not get you into heaven. Being Catholic, Methodist, Lutheran, Hindu, whatever, will not get you into heaven. Being a Sunday school teacher, coming to church every Sunday, will not get you into heaven. Being a good person will not get you into heaven. You must have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the miraculous God that I believe in. Now, certainly there's room for honest questions about the nature of, of this miraculous miracle. You know, was it refraction or did he slow down? And that's fine if you want to debate that. But for the humble Christian believer, there's never room for questioning the reality of the miraculous. And for those who may be undecided, I have some quotes for you to consider. Now, this first one really pains me to put up because Pastor John quotes this guy all the time. And I'm like, 
John, he's a dead old English guy. Can't you find someone else? But, but he's just enamored with this guy. And Debbie and I are a little concerned that someday we're going to end up with a grandson named Spurgeon Toon. <laughs> Tell me that kid won't be teased at school. <laughs> Anyhow, he did have a quote that was right on, though. How, regarding Joshua 10, Spurgeon said, how he did it is no question for us. It's not ours to try to soften down miracles, but to glorify God in them. Check out this quote. This is a man I've been reading a lot lately. He, he leads something called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. He says, when you find yourself saying, I don't understand, remember that if God was small enough for your intellect, he wouldn't be big enough for our problems. Amen? And then lastly, C.S. Lewis uses the dreaded R word. The mind which asks for non-miraculous Christianity is a mind in process of relapsing from Christianity into mere religion. Some aspects of the Christian faith are indeed a mystery. Christianity is something that you have to believe on faith and in your heart and understand that God fully loves and understands us. The second thing we need to think about with regard is preparing, preparing for miracles through prayerful expectation. As Christians, we should be the most hopeful people in the world. Why? Because our hope is found in Jesus. Pray big, knowing his will is perfect, whatever the outcome. Pray that God will use miracles in your life, not to get you fame, fortune, and everything that comes with it, That's a song, isn't it? I just quoted a song, I think. But that he will use miracles to reveal himself, to prepare you for service, and to help you grow to be more Christ-like in your thoughts and actions. I know that in some areas of my life, small, daily, incremental growth is in and of itself a miracle. Now, admittedly, there are fewer signs and wonders like those found in the Old Testament happening today. But listen to this, please. Focus on this. If you believe in the miracle of the virgin birth, in the many miracles of Jesus' ministry here on earth, and in the miracle of the resurrection, then how could you not believe that in light of our Jesus of the New Testament, perhaps the greatest miracle today occurs when a man or a woman or a child whose heart is closed to God comes to believe in God, to rely on God, to be completely changed from the inside out. So, with that thought in mind, let's conclude by looking at how we should react to miracles. How do we make Joshua 10 relevant to us today? By the way, these three things we're going to share, you can only truly possible do these if you are a believer. First one is, We're going to talk about responding to miracles, responding to miracles, because God's miracles demand a response. So the first way we need to respond to miracles is through humbleness. Humbleness. Be humble as a result of the miracles around you. Before Joshua became this great military leader that Dan and Wade were telling us about, he was just a humble servant of Moses. Why? Because he had seen the miracles in Moses' life. Always keep in mind that God is God and you are not. 
Also realize that the Bible is not ultimately about you and me. It is about God. Always give God the glory for the miracles in your life. The second way we need to respond to miracles is through gratefulness. Gratefulness. Spend as much time or more time thanking God for the miracles already in your life instead of seeking additional ones. Try to grasp this, folks. The reality of the God of the universe who used his miraculous power to rescue Israel still uses his miraculous power to save his people today. Now that's something to be grateful for. Amen? The last way we need to respond to miracles is through obedience. Obedience. Doing your part. Now, notice in our passage today that God didn't do it all. I mean, he could have, but he still required Joshua to do his part. Joshua had to march 20 miles. Joshua had to fight the Ammonites. And although God may help us with our part, he still desires to see us participate. If you have repented of your sins and asked Jesus into your heart to be your personal Savior and Lord, you are a walking miracle. This sanctuary is full of walking miracles. God's death and resurrection conquered Satan's sinful grasp on your soul. Never forget that, believers. You are a miracle. You are a child of God. But now your charge is to be obedient and to share God with others. Follow through on sharing the gospel. Be intentional despite any real or imagined obstacles. After all, we learn from today's passage, it's not your battle. It's God's battle. It is your obedience that God is looking for. By being obedient and playing whatever role God's assigned you, whether it's planting seeds, harvesting the fruit, being a full-time missionary, just sharing, gospel, uh, sharing the gospel where you live, work, and play, you can play a part in the miracle of seeing a friend, relative, acquaintance, or neighbor come to Christ. So teenagers and young adults, don't tell God that you're too young because that's a lie. You have a huge circle of influence. It's called school. And so you need to decide, do you fear man? The kids will think I'm weird. Or do you fear God? And you're going to share about him. Senior saints, don't tell God you're too old to share with others. Your circle of influence might be smaller, but you still have one. You have one in waiting rooms at doctor's appointments. You have a lost adult child or grandchild that you should be plugged into their life, praying fervently and sharing the gospel. And for everyone in between, don't tell God that you're too busy. Whether you're in the workforce or home with the kids, all of us can be a part of the miracle of sharing Christ with someone else. As Christian author uh, Eric Metasas writes, the greatest evidence of a miracle is a changed life that results when someone goes from non-belief to belief. In conclusion, while signs and wonders like we read about in Joshua today or that Jesus did in the New Testament may be less frequent today, the sun hasn't stood still lately. But remember, 
that men and women from around the world testify that the miracle of belief, the miracle of salvation continues around us every single day. As the worship team comes forward, maybe we're going to see part of a miracle today. If you're here today and you're thinking, I will get to heaven because I'm a good person or I try really hard, you've been misinformed. You need to turn, repent of your sins, and ask Jesus into your life. If you are a believer who's here today and you haven't lived for Christ like the walking miracle you are, you can come up to the altar and pray for God to recharge you and re-energize you and refocus you so that you start to look like a walking miracle that you are.